The Longbox Crusade presents Fan Bill Fridays. Welcome to another Fan Film Fridays. I'm your host, Clinton Robison. There's a party being planned here at Longbox Crusade HQ. It's a birthday party for, well, one of Jason's cats. Or, you know, that's what I'm told anyway. But, you know, either way, the guys sent me down a piece of cake and a party hat. Granted, they sent Sean Ross to bring it to me, but whatever. Sean, I'm glad you're here anyway. I'm staying six feet away. I'm staying six feet, not social distancing. I just, I know that's the length of your chain. <laughs> they, they warned me, the Albrechts warned me. They said, okay, his chain goes from the radiator out six feet. So keep a six feet, you know, circumference. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're not wrong. But, you know, since you're here, um, how about let's uh, talk about a fan film? I mean, I know this is a flimsy preamble to an episode, but the heck with it. Everybody knows my shtick by now. <laughs> I am here for the flimsy. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, so today's fan film is Sherlock Holmes and the Adventure of the Furtive Festivity. We've discussed Sherlock Holmes as a franchise on this show before, and it's pretty much in the cultural hive mind by now, but Sean, can you give a brief reminder of who Sherlock Holmes is, or what he was, what he's all about, that kind of thing. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is a creation of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and he is the greatest literary detective in the history of, of literature, which is a great sentence I just said. You know, he's the, the number one sleuth, and he's such an adaptable property that we see him in media everywhere from modern-day interpretations like Elementary or Sherlock, and even on the holodeck in Star Wars The Next Generation. He always has his faithful companion, Dr. John Watson, who was a military doctor who serves Sherlock Holmes as they go out and solve mysteries for Scotland Yard. And he's just, you know, some of the greatest stories ever told, The Hound of the Baskervilles. And, you know, we've got some great characters that show up here that are part of his mythology. And this is a great depiction of a formerly maybe unseen portion of Sherlock's life. <laughs> <laughs> oh... All right, so this particular film debuted on YouTube back in August of 2019 by Furtive Festivity Short Film. You know, appropriately named account. Uh, August of 2019 seems about 40 years ago at this point, though. But no kidding. In, instead, it's just, you know, a couple. The film stars Ken Bolden as John Watson, Gregory Johnstone as Sherlock Holmes, Hazel Leroy as Mrs. Hudson, Brian Gannon as Inspector Lestrade, or Lestrade, as you may choose to say. Alison Beauregard as Mary Watson. 
Tony as Toby the dog, <laughs> which I find interesting that I know, know why we name the him? dog's name, but and including Michael McBurney as Professor Moriarty. It was directed by somebody whose name is not there. Mina Hoffman. The notes. Yes. <laughs> it was directed by Mina Hoffman. Assistant director was Isabel Opsitos. I'm sure I butchered that. And it was written by Carolyn Dussel. The film sports a little over 23,500 views on YouTube. Not too shabby for something of a niche production. But I figure once people are aware of exactly why it is considered niche, uh, they'll be eager to seek it out. So before Sean and I get into all this discussion and pretty much spoil everything, please take a moment and check out the show notes for the link to this film. It'll only take you about 13 minutes to watch, so not a large part of your day. Not only will Sean and I completely spoil all the plot points, etc., etc., about this film... It's just so much more fun when everybody's on the same page, no pun intended, <laughs> when listening to our discussions. I promise you, it's more fun. So, pause here, watch the film, and come right back. Through my years working with the exceedingly clever Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I have partaken in countless adventures. My favorite moments with my detective have been the domestic ones. How does a hapless fool like me hide a surprise birthday party from the world's most accomplished detective? Well, hopefully the master sleuth has rubbed off on me in more ways than one. <laughs> Everybody back? Good. So, Sherlock Holmes and the Adventure of the Furtive Festivity. The film opens up with a newspaper showing us that it is Sherlock's birthday, followed by Dr. Watson's narration of his time with Holmes. Watson says in all their adventures, his favorite moments have been the more domestic ones. And that he intends to try and hide Sherlock's present, as he has been good at hiding other things from less suspecting eyes. Watson brings Holmes their morning tea, both still in dressing gowns. As the two gaze into each other's eyes, a near kiss is interrupted by Mrs. Hudson calling to them. Yes, folks, if you hadn't guessed it in the first 90 seconds or so, this is an LGBT-positive Holmes and Watson story. You are welcome! So amidst innuendo and double entendre, we find out that Mrs. Hudson was announcing Inspector Lestrade, who informs our detective duo about a crime. But, you know, that's... Neither here nor there, he gets cut off before he can wish Holmes a happy birthday. Watson takes him aside to explain that, you know, the party's supposed to be a surprise. Sherlock, of course, you know, doesn't like to be idle, so he busies himself with various studies. Watson does his very best to hide the surprise party from Holmes, but in true comic fashion, Holmes just narrowly escapes finding out multiple times. Amidst everything else, a woman barges into 221B, declaring herself John's wife. John claims he thought Mary had, uh, died. A bit of quick thinking on Holmes's part helps give Watson the excuse needed to drive Mary away. But before she gets too far, John makes sure she'll be at the surprise party. A gift of balloons arrives. The card says, from Mycroft Holmes, but Sherlock suspects they came from his rival, Moriarty. 
By the time of the party itself, Sherlock has fully convinced himself that Moriarty is planning to blow up the entire building just to get to him, despite the obvious evidence of presence. Or, you know, Holmes could just be faking. Whatever. John tries his best to calm Sherlock with some uh, sweet words. But Sherlock's not buying it and bursts into his own surprise party that he bloody well knew was there. Watson believes he had Sherlock completely fooled, but, you know, uh, he'd actually sent Sherlock an invitation to his own party a week earlier. Holmes even figured out that Watson got him a brand new hat. But the keys to a lovely little cottage in Sussex? Now that Holmes didn't see coming. And that, in short, is the 13 minutes of The Adventure of the Furtive Festivity. So, Sean, what do you think of this film? This, this film is delightful. Capital D, delightful. I, when you reached out to me and you were like, hey, you know, do you want to come back on Fan Film Friday? I was like, yes, of course I do. And you were like, okay, here are some options. And you gave me a couple comic book options, and you gave me Sherlock. And I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. I love Sherlock Holmes. I read the stories as a kid. I gobbled them up. I love mysteries. I love detectives. I listen to John and Maggie read Encyclopedia Brown stories on Married with Cartoons. I really, really love detective stories. And so I was really excited when you sent this. I had no idea that it was an LGBT version of Holmes and Watson. And it's funny because it opens with, you know, little hints. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's maybe more sexualized than they probably intended. Because, I, again, I had no idea. And then you realize, oh, no, no, this is exactly what they intended. They, they, these two men are in love, and they're a couple. And the thing that carries this movie for me, and, and it's, it's wonderful in a million ways, but the heart of this movie is the just unbelievable chemistry between the two leads, between Ken Bolden, who's Dr. John Watson, and Gregory Johnstone, who's Sherlock Holmes. They are so convincing as a loving couple that I actually, in my head, was like, oh, they're clearly a real couple in real life. Like, you can't... You can't achieve that kind of chemistry. That's a, that's a chemistry that's built over decades together. There's no way you can build that kind of chemistry just for a short film. And then I watched a little making of, and I realized that they aren't a couple, but they have been friends for a really long time. And I was even more impressed because it is some of the best on, on-screen chemistry I've ever seen. So I, I just, I loved it. I'm so thankful that you had me on the show for this, for this film. I mean, I just, I love it. Do you, are, are you, do you love it as much as I do? Cause I'm sh- seriously giddy. Oh, absolutely. I, I love this film and I'm so glad you, you brought up the chemistry between them because I was going to mention the behind the scenes stuff where, where, you know, they say, well, you know, we've known each other for years and years and uh, done these different productions, but this is probably our first kiss. Yeah, that is a great moment when when he says that. He's like, "But this is the first time we've kissed." But even then, I love that again. It's just it's they're so sweet together. They're just so loving. And Watson, you know, really dotes on Holmes, and Holmes clearly has unbelievable affection for Watson. And it's it really is such a sweet peek into that part of the story, and it rounds it out really nicely because this isn't a story about mystery and peril and danger. It's a story about two people in love who are trying to show different th- their partners different ways that they love each other. It's really, really good. And, you know, before we really get any much further, I have to really emphasize this. This is a very LGBT positive film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the creators themselves are LGBT as well. Uh, 
it was created as part of a senior thesis project focusing on LGBT themes, all that. Now, that being said, this is a complete romantic comedy, sitcom, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff with lots of jokes about them being gay, but not jokes about being gay. It's, It's an open secret. All their friends know. Mary knows, you know, Lestrade knows, you know, everybody knows that John and Sherlock are a couple, but they don't, they, they don't put a flag on it. You know, they, they don't announce it to the world. They don't make an issue of it. And it's so wonderful. Yeah. It's really nice to get a story about the LGBT community that isn't about trauma and isn't a coming out story. And, you know, there's, those stories can be told and be told really well. But I really love that we just get this little slice of life story about two people very much in love. And and I think, you know, like you, I was really excited that this wasn't a story about them hiding their love. You know, that wasn't the kernel of the story. That's not the main plot. You know, and, and that because of the time they live in, they can't be, you know, maybe super public about it, though they don't linger on that at all. But everybody in their life knows it and is fully supportive. Like it's just it's just totally understood and supported and pe- the people love them and they love that they're together and it's it really is it's just such a good Sherlock Holmes it's it's actually very rapidly become one of my favorite <laughs> Sherlock Holmes stories i think it's really if you're a fan of Sherlock in particular you know with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman i think this is a nice companion to it i think it's a really nice modern look though the story is set in in the 1800s i think it is a nice modern look at Sherlock Holmes or at least through a modern lens. I, I think it's a really nice companion to that series. Yeah, I can agree with that. Because, I mean, uh, and uh, the writers and directors, they they both said that this idea pretty much spun out of watching Sherlock and, and the uh, when are they just going to give up and kiss because they're so obviously in love <laughs> with each other. What's really nice, though, is that this is not just fan fiction. You know, and there's nothing wrong with fan fiction. Fan fiction's awesome. And there's nothing wrong with more risque, you know, or sexual fan fiction. That's cool too. And people who enjoy it, that's great. But this is so much more than that. This is additive in a really interesting way. This this story doesn't find itself interesting because it's an LGBT lens uh, on Holmes and Watson. It finds itself interesting because it's a really good love story. And I love that. I love that it gets to a great story that happens to be about the LGBT community instead of being a story about being LGBTQ, which again, there's nothing wrong with those stories, but I love that we're getting to a point as a society where we're just getting stories that happen to be LGBT. And that's not the main kernel of it because that's when, you know, you know, there's been a wider level of social acceptance and understanding and, you know, as a people. And so I think it's a really, it's just delightful. And again, has just quickly become one of my favorite stories. So I, I'm so thankful for that you, that you shared this with me because this is awesome. Oh, uh, and I mean this this is one of those stories where you can just tell that they are such an old married couple. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, it, it's not a trauma story. It's not that they don't fall into any of the uh, usual Hollywood type LGBT tropes. Uh, th- they don't, for lack of a better term, they don't queen it up. Uh, that you know they don't over flamboyant it it's, it's not the birdcage it's yeah and and those stories can be great too but yeah this is this is really mm-hmm. domestic it's really sweet oh 
and man, like everybody on screen has real chemistry too, not just not just Holmes and Watson. Because mm-hmm. I mean, even when Mary comes in and she's just like that indignant, you know, shrew of a wife, and then it, you know, <laughs> and and Watson just bursts out and he's like, "You will be there at the party," and she's just like, oh, "Yes." <laughs> It's like it's kind of it's kind of like will you just quit using me as a beard and just you know, let me <laughs> be off? But okay. Well, and even that's sweet because when she you know when she first arrives and and this whole film is this little comedy of errors is of Watson trying to surprise Holmes, which you know is going to be impossible, <laughs> and doing a, a really poor job mm-hmm. of it. I mean, he leaves the donkey ears for pin the tail and donkey out as if those are just commonplace things. You know, and, and so it's it's a cute little comedy of errors. And so when Mary shows up and he's like, oh, dear, I thought you were dead. I, I actually was taken aback for a minute because I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is a weird way for this to turn. And then when it turns out to just be sort of playful and then at the end he's like, well, you are coming tonight, right? Which means they have been in touch and she is a part of his life. And, you know, she clearly does support them if she's coming to the party, even if it's somewhat begrudgingly. I thought, oh, that's really cute. I like that a lot because it, it honors the continuity of Sherlock Holmes. But it puts a you know a, a a nice little spin on it, and you know the I have to ask you, Clinton, of the many little goofs that Watson makes that you know Holmes clearly notices along the way, but he plays along. What was your favorite moment? What was your favorite little like oh he almost sitcom moment where he almost finds out about? Oh the surprise my party? goodness! I mean, obviously the the reveal of you know having sent Holmes the invitation to his own party was pretty dang hilarious, <laughs> but. I mean, you really can't count that because that just I guess, comes as a stinger. Um, honestly, I really like the um, the confetti that pops out of Holmes's cocaine box. <laughs> oh, what's better than cocaine? Mm-hmm. Cocaine with confetti. <laughs> it's like a Betty Crocker funfetti band of cocaine. And I love that they didn't shy away from the, the cocaine. Yeah, that part was a little... It took me a couple watches to be okay with it, but Watson's trying to get Holmes out of the house so he can get everything set up. And he's like, oh, darling, why don't you go out and, and partake in something that I normally wouldn't approve of? And he taps the middle part of his arm, like, you know, where mm-hmm. you would inject drugs. And Holmes is like, oh, yeah, let's go. I'll go do that. And it's... It, and there, Yeah, you're right. There was a moment where I was like, oh... Okay, that's cool. They're really embracing all of the continuity of of Holmes and Watson. That's pretty interesting. That's pretty funny. And then, yeah, he opens the box later to get his cocaine and confetti comes out. Like you said, the pin the tail on the donkey, uh, leaving the, you know, obviously hat-shaped box right there. You know, all the other presents, balloons. My favorite reveal is when the party actually happens. And so the guests have arrived and, and Watson ushers Sherlock into the room and they all say surprise oh, and there's a cake and they don't show the cake quite yet. And, and Holmes says, or Watson says to Holmes, oh, I had them make you a cake in the shape of a microscope mm-hmm. you know, because you're a scientist and they cut to the cake and it is a penis and testicles. I mean, it is a totally phallic bachelorette party cake and it is amazing and they both look at it for a second, and then Mary takes the cake cutter and stabs it through the urethra. And Holmes and Watson both go, ooh, and they cover their genitals, which is the fun. It's such a good little beat. And they don't linger on it too long. They don't, you know, stare at the camera saying, look how clever we are. But it is 
unbelievably funny. And again, also a sweet reminder of how in sync they are Mm -hmm. because they both make the same movement and that Mary, while she is at the party supporting them, still has a little bit of anger, you know, that she's, that that her love story is not hers, that it's John and and Sherlock. So that part is so awesome. But she neglected to mention the one little thing that uh, Sherlock says almost half under his breath when he sees the cake. I think I prefer this look better. Yeah, yeah oh, he, he, he makes does. the very right. obvious. Yes. And, oh yes, you know, bachelorette party <laughs> comment, like you had said. <laughs> and that's that's one of the things that's so nice about this is the way that the two characters, the chemistry is undeniable, and the way that it presents, like you know, for lack of a better term, their sort of love language is Holmes being very supportive and wanting to make Sherlock happy and comfortable and surprise him with more sort of symbols of their domesticity and their, their, you know, existence as a couple. And Holmes is a very Mm -hmm. sexual love language and not aggressive in any way, but a very physical language. And that's the other part that I think you have to give real credit to for these actors is the chemistry is not just romantic and emotional. It's physical. Like there is a lot of touching in this movie. That's the, the sweet kind of touching of two people in love where there's like a, a lingering on a shoulder or, you know, a, a hug, you know, a, a hug from behind, you know, while they talk or something. And it's really, really, they just do such a good job in this movie in 13 minutes of just building up this couple in a way where you go, oh my gosh, I'm so happy they're together. I'm so happy and I, and I really want it to work out. And the little surprise about the cottage in the end tells you it's going to work out. And I, I, mean, I don't know, what, what for you was a, a moment that really cemented the on-screen chemistry between I mean, them? honestly... Uh, from the first moment that they uh, almost embrace and Mrs. Hudson calls to them, that's pretty much right there you can tell that they have chemistry. Because, I mean, just the the looks that they're given is like, um, do we need to, like, close the blinds? Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, just, just everything that they do... When Holmes um, uh, pretends to claim that the donkey tails are poisoned, and oh, I pricked my finger, you know, suck out the poison, John, suck out the poison, and and it's so sweet because in the narration, John goes, "Oh, and Sherlock would know if they had been poisoned, so I needed to act quickly." Like John doesn't even suspect that Sherlock's just uh-huh. doing this to show Mary, like, yeah, and oh, then, he's mine. You know, like, instant, he's mine. You know, it goes from <laughs> you know, having pricked his finger to, oh, I, and I pricked my neck, too. No, the poison's getting everywhere. Mm. <laughs> it's real, And Mary's just glaring at him. And she's like, all right, I'll leave. It, it is really funny. And I like the little bit about the kiss, because in the in the opening scene when, when Watson takes Holmes the tea in bed, because it's his birthday, though he's not reminding him of it, you know, they are, they're about to kiss. They're about to kind of a good morning kiss and they're interrupted suddenly. And there was a moment and it's the, the director and the actors are clearly playing on the audience's expectation of, oh, they're not going to do an on-screen mm-hmm. kiss because that would be controversial, right? Or that might be, you know, it's, I mean, it goes all the way back to Melrose <laughs> Place, you know, in the 90s and 2000s where it's like, are those two characters going to kiss on screen and, you know, wondering about it and wondering about it. And then they, they go, they show them moving in and then it's off, it cuts off screen and it plays on all of those tropes of like not showing actual physical intimacy between LGBTQ characters. And you think, Oh, okay. And then they're just, they're just subverting your expectations because they keep having these little moments. And then it's in the end when Holmes has opened the gift and there's the hat in it 
and he thinks that's the whole gift and he puts it on and then Watson goes, oh, silly me. Look, I dropped my key in the box. Look at me always losing the key to that little cottage in, in Sussex. So Holmes is at, or Watson, sorry, has actually gone and purchased this little cottage for them, this little place that they've been sort of romanticizing through the whole movie as a place for them to get away and be together. And Holmes is really taken aback by it. One, that it's a surprise. And two, the, the sweetness, the love behind it, you know, the, the cementing of that relationship. And they share this really sweet kiss. And it's in front of all the party goers. So that's the other nice moment is that no one's taken aback. No one's aghast. No one, you know, comments on it at all. It's just this very natural moment. And I think the, the writing team and the directing team did such a good job of layering this story and playing on your expectations of what you've seen and the shortcuts that films have had to make when they've had LGBTQ characters, you know, in order to sort of assuage this audience who might be, oh, offended by it. And I love that they play with those expectations. And then in the end, they're like, no, this is just, this is a really sweet story. Yeah, I mean, that this pretty much sums everything up right there, that it's just a sweet story. And I, man, it, it can be enjoyed by everybody. Yes. But I, I mean, we, we can't move on without highlighting probably the most underappreciated actor in this, which would be Hazel Leroy as Mrs. Hudson. For the all of, you know, four <laughs> or five lines that she gets in the entire production, she is an absolute hoot. She's really funny. She's kind of a body older lady. Like when, when the inspector shows up in the morning to tell them about a crime and they're both in their bed clothes and, and in bed, she goes, boys, are, are you decent up there? Are you doing anything? Like she's, you know, messing with them. She's like, you know, I've got company. You better not be doing anything that'll get you in trouble with the law. And, you know, she's really funny. She's clearly very supportive. She has the line in the movie, though, because <laughs> yes. at one point balloons get delivered to Sherlock from his brother Mycroft. And they, they pretend that they might be from Moriarty. And she's inhaling one of the balloons just for fun behind, not even in the scene. Like, like Watson and Holmes are having the conversation. And she's just behind the scenes sucking in helium, which is a great little character beat. And then they're like, oh, the balloons, they might be poisoned. And in, in a high-pitched helium voice, she goes, balls. And it's just the line of the movie. It's so great. I love her. But not to be outdone is Michael McBurney as Professor Moriarty, which Sean let oh, everybody yeah. know what exactly Moriarty does in this entire thing. So he really does steal the movie, and he's not even in it. There is a photo on the wall of a newspaper article of Moriarty's capture and this large picture of Moriarty staring at the camera with one eyebrow sort of cocked. In a, I mean, and it's unbelievable. It was the perfect casting for this. All this guy did is take a photo for Moriarty, but it absolutely not only captures Moriarty, but the Moriarty of this universe, who is clearly this goofy, jolly, sort of overweight, foolish man but who is also Moriarty and you can tell the kinds of things this Moriarty would do would be like poisoning the helium in a balloon and sending them for the birthday so it it paints a picture I mean it's literally a you know pictures worth a thousand words it tells you everything you need to know about this universe's Moriarty and I wish we would get a follow-up film from him from his perspective because I don't care if that man isn't a terrible actor in real life the ability to convey everything he conveys in that photo is genius. Yeah, it cracked and me up every get the time. Feeling they like to he it. would be the the Moriarty that doesn't quite pick up on social situations, so he's he's constantly questioning. Wait, are yes. they or aren't they? 
Well, yeah, he would be the one who would say to Holmes, like, well, I'm going to kidnap your beloved Irene Adler if you don't do what I want. And yeah. Holmes and Watson oh, kind of look at each no, other. Like, don't, well, don't do you know. that, Moriarty. They, you know, they... you know or I, yeah, I've tied you and Watson together, you know, bound you in this humiliating manner. And they'd be like, oh, no, <laughs> please come back. <laughs> It's awesome. You're right. He would. He would miss the point the whole way through. But that's the, the fun of it is they get a lot of mileage out of really small moments in this with the characters. Like the inspector, when he comes by in the morning to tell him about this crime and Watson shoes him out because he's about to spoil that it's Holmes' birthday. While Watson and the inspector are alone as they're leaving, as, as he's walking him out, the ins- Watson says, well, you will be here at the party tonight, right? And he said, yeah, he said, and I might yes. even lend you to my handcuffs for the evening. And it's such a cute moment because it's, you know, one, it's kind of body. But two, it's like, oh, everybody really supports this relationship. Like, it's a fun, yeah, it's just a fun world I want to live in. I want to see more of this. I love, I love Sherlock Holmes retellings. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the episode that Star Trek, the next generation, <laughs> I think I may have said Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek, the next generation. I even love Holocraft Moriarty. And I know... Some people hate that. I can hear my podcasting buddy, Greg Arujo, rolling his eyes all the way from Kansas City. But I love any time we get some Sherlock Holmes references. I loved Elementary with Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu. You know, Sherlock was one of my favorite shows ever. And I, I really lament the absence of a, a Sherlock series right now. So I would love them. I would love some studio to throw a ton of money at these. I'm going to say kids because they're they feel younger than me, and have them just do an entire series. I mean, I would. would I'm with you. I would love for them to continue with all of this. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to find the time though, because uh, apparently uh, Mina Hoffman works for CBS now, according to her Twitter profile. Oh, anyway. cool, good. So. I mean, yay for that, though, because, God, this is talent that definitely deserved to be recognized. It, no, it is. That's awesome. I'm glad she's being recognized because, yeah, it's it's brilliantly written and directed. And I hope, you know, Ken Bolden in particular, who plays Watson, I was shell-shocked when I watched the little behind-the-scenes vignette that neither of the actors are British because they do such a good job affecting those accents. But Bolden in particular is so good that I was like, man, I hope oh somebody gosh. taps him to be Alfred. At some point, because he he is a brilliant mm-hmm. uppity butler. Like he would be an unbelievably great Alfred. And in my head canon, and I'm not just saying this because this is the film we happen to watch. In my head canon, Alfred has always been gay. I've always thought of Alfred as a gay man, and that that he you know has a, a paramour somewhere. And and it, it just I, you know, and in fact, I'm I'm always sort of caught off guard when they pair him up with like Mademoiselle Marie or somebody. Because in my head canon, he's he's gay, and it's just known, and it's just you know that's just the, that's who Alfred is, and so I would love not that Bolden is gay or that Bolden would have to portray Alfred as gay, but I would love that, and I think he would uh, be a perfect sure actor for Alfred. On, uh, you know the the actors themselves, but you know like I said, uh, Mina Hoffman and I do believe Carolyn and Giselle as well are both LGBT, and man though thinking about Bolden as Alfred, man that's. Like, I can very much see him in the vein of um, the, the same performance uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. gave on ba- Batman the Animated Series. Like, that kind of Alfred. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's almost like the butler from um, Arthur, you know. Would you like me to wipe your ass, sir? Oh, man. Gosh. I mean, think about that. This... Like I really want to reiterate these these people did this as a senior thesis project in college. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, the talent is you know it reminds me of you know Lin Manuel Manuel sorry 
It reminds me of Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote In the Heights as his senior thesis in college. You know, mm-hmm. where you just get somebody who's a t- kind of prodigy, somebody who's so talented that even, not even out, out the gates, but before they get to the gate, they're producing, you know, what would go on to be really fantastic work. And so I'm going to watch for her now. Like, I'm really, I want to see what she's doing next because there's a level of craft here from all of them, not just from Mina Hoffman, but there's a level of craft from all of them that just reminds you that there's so much unbelievable talent out in the world. And, you know, we don't get to see even the tip of the iceberg because it's so hard to make it in that industry. But I love it, man. This is, in my mind, you know, in a lot of ways, this is the beauty of your show because this is something I would never have encountered otherwise because I just have never been drawn to fan films. It's not something I've sought out, you know, and, and in fan films, I think my built-in prejudice you know, is that they're going to be shoddy or that, I, you know, they're not going to be particularly mm-hmm. well done. And yet the X-Men film we reviewed a while ago and this film have both been awesome. And, you know, in other films that you've covered on the show as well, particularly a Batman film, they've been really, really good. And I just love the, that not only is there the existence of these little short films, but that your show is highlighting the hard work of these people who get, you know, no critical acclaim for this it's yeah. it's just labors of uh, love so good on you man now, this is really cool i mean th- this film was obviously crowdfunded they freely admit that and everything uh i, I really yeah. want to stress they worked with like a set and a half because you know they constantly had to redo yep. the set for the interior of of the 221b you know they have they change it up to be Holmes's bedroom, Holmes's study, the parlor, and then they have that one brief moment of the exterior. But everything else is, you know, you can mm-hmm. definitely say it's a bottle film, bottle episode, whatever. Yeah, yeah it's a but oh one act play, gosh, yeah, one room play. Do they make the absolute most of it? I mean, now we've covered other films on here where they only have you know two or three little sets but man i i can't even imagine like how much thought had to go into okay you know how do we do this what angle do we need to shoot from you know how do we need to redecorate to make it this and then the costumes oh man like i fully believe that was a mm-hmm. you know yeah. 1800s dressing gown they were wearing it's awesome. And the use of the costumes is great because by having Watson's opening narration happen when he's in his dressing gown, it adds a level of intimacy to it where within the first moment, even though they haven't called attention to it, you do get a little like, oh, this is a weirdly intimate place to start this story until you realize, oh, no, no, actually, that's completely appropriate because from the first moment, even with the costuming, they're telling you these are two people in love and it's awesome. So yeah, it's a great use of costume, of set. I mean, the actors are great. It really is. I have to tell you, this feels so much more professional than it actually was, right? I mean, it feels like it was done by a major studio. Even the credits are really, really well done. You can absolutely believe fantastic. You know, (laughs) I mean, I hate to put it you know so bluntly, but they were sitting there like staring at it, like our entire grade, our entire academic career depends on this film we have to make it perfect but it it shows that they put so much effort and forethought and absolute love into this because you can tell they love the material they love the Holmes canon and they love the story that they got to tell with it 
Yeah, and I have to say, I pity the other people in that class with them <laughs> because, you know, I would have made like the Adam Scott stop motion clay movie from Parks and Rec. <laughs> and I would have been like, ta da! And they're like, oh, yeah, that was great. I'm like, you know, well, you know, we didn't have much time or money. And, you know, I just, I did what I could. I'm proud of it. And then they show their Sherlock Holmes film. And I would have been like, oh, I'm going to leave now. I'm changing my major. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would have been like, huh. Like you said, they'll make the stop motion. Like, I would have been like, oh, hey, look, I made a new Mr. Bill. <laughs> oh, my God, you made freaking Lord of the Rings. Okay, um, me and my Play-Doh are going to go, like, become business majors now. Seriously, it would have been, it would have been so, like, you just know, you watch that film if you're in that class, and you're like, oh, I'm in the wrong major. I'm changing. <laughs> Sorry, Mom and Dad, but uh, you paid for, you know four years of me to be a film major and I'm changing to, you know, agriculture. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, I, I can't think of any lows to give this movie. This no. is, this is absolutely. Yeah. And I said movie, not film this time, because this deserves to have been its own feature length movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would have lived in this universe a lot longer. I would have, mm -hmm. I would have gladly lived in this universe. So everybody that was involved with this, if you're still listening, or if you listen to this at all, ever, for one, God bless you for actually listening to this little show talk about <laughs> your wonderful film. But also, you have fans, serious mm -hmm. fans. I know it's hard, but please, please, please find a way to make this project grow. I want to yeah. see that cottage in Sussex, dang it. Me too. Well, and I think there's an appetite for it. I mean, the most recent Sherlock Holmes version was Enola Holmes on Netflix, which with, mm -hmm. um, which was del delightful. I mean, it was you know Henry Cavill's in it, and uh, but it's about Sherlock Holmes's little sister who's just as talented and just as smart. It's the um, young actor from Stranger Things whose name I'm blanking on because I'm old, but it is fantastic. And so I think there's an appetite for some alternative views on on the Holmes and Watson story, and I would love to see them expand this world. Uh, you're thinking Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby Brown, thank you. I was wondering why my prerogative was in my head, and I was like, <laughs> "What? what is the connection there? And, and that's why, yeah, Millie Bobby Brown. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Getting but, older sucks. But, yeah, I mean, this is, we can't sing praises of this enough. Everybody, please, if you didn't watch it before, go out and watch it now. If you did watch it before, watch it again, because Sean and I will both attest, it is equally as funny and charming on multiple viewings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, the the word for it is delightful. It is absolutely <laughs> delightful, and I love it. And it's additive to the Holmes mythology, and it deserves to be up there with other great versions of it. Oh well, I can't top that, folks. That that put, definitely puts the button on it. So, Sean, I appreciate you coming down, bringing me this cake and this fine party hat. Uh, before you take off, can you let everybody know where to find you online? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I, I love the show. I love when you and I get a chance to record. I, you know, I, I just I just love getting to talk to you, and it's an added benefit that we record it and, and put it out for other people to listen to. Uh, I also want you to know that I poisoned the cake. Uh, like Moriarty, who poisoned the helium in the balloons, I did poison the cake. So, you know, the, your, your torment in the basement will be coming to a close <laughs> relatively soon. Uh, from what I heard, Jason and and Jared and Delvin are are moving somebody new into the basement. Some guy named uh, Rick from Oregon. So, Oregon. So, sorry about that, but 
they did ask me to take you out. But if people want to listen to other shows of mine, you can find me on the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. I co-host Secret Wars and Beyond with my buddy Dr. G, where we cover every issue of every Secret Wars miniseries from Marvel. I have the never-ending reading pile with my buddy Gregor Rujo, where we pick a story or a character or a team from comics history and talk about it at length. And if you like nostalgia, if you love comics from the 80s and 90s in particular, that's the show for you. And then I am co-host of the Bat Pod with Bill Beer, where we review every new Bat book as it comes out each month, which is a ton of fun. So sorry for the poison cake, but thanks for having me on the show. And, and hey, I got to be on your final episode. <laughs> Well, you know, is there any way, like, you can drag my lifeless corpse back upstairs with you? No, but we are going to play Pin the Tail on the Donkey on it. <laughs> with the poison tails, no doubt. And we're going to have Oklahoma playing in the background. So that <laughs> just as a tribute to you. Oh, well, with that, I shall play a promo and count my final moments. And if, for some reason, the poison was put there by Moriarty instead of one of the Albrechts, I'll be back with listener feedback. In 1984, I was 10 years old, and a strange light lit up the park behind my house. In the middle of the night, still in my pajamas, I ran to investigate. A strange machine sat brooding in the dark. I stepped inside and I was taken to a far-off galaxy where I saw men, monsters, and gods fight and die. Join us again on the Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and Beyond series, part of the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, where we will discuss each issue of the Secret Wars miniseries and their long-term impact on the characters who joined us on Battleworld and on those we left behind on the home front. Join us again on Battleworld. Return with us to our Secret Wars. everybody thanks for sticking with me thanks so much to sean for joining me on this re episode truly appreciate it and before i get into the feedback i do want to thank all the crusaders club members no i don't have a list of names uh the albrecht brothers kind of keep that tight to the chest or so they tell me but you know I'm, I'm never privy to sensitive information anyway but anyway for feedback on this show Specifically, last episode dealing with Arbuckle, a Garfield fan film, we got likes, shares, retweets, all that fun stuff from Warlock Thanos Podcast, Gene Hendricks, Green Lantern HG, Hal Jordan, Kyle Benning, Jared Albrick, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, Laurel at Mountain Flower One, and Christados. Yeah, that was kind of a busy month. I understand. No, 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 really. There were a lot of podcasts coming out right then. Trust me, didn't hurt my feelings. Anyway, we did get some feedback, though, directly talking about the fan film. Friend of the show, Green Lantern HG, said, 
Oh, an episode made for me. Great episode, guys. Big fan of Garfield. I have up till book 25, I think. And was hoping to find Lyman PVC figures, but never did. Sorry, HG. It never got made. Oh, well, that would be why, HG. <laughs> uh, this movie was fun right up until he's at the party. Then it was basically me at a party. <laughs> well, uh, I kind of feel, feel you there, HG. So, you know, we'll go over and talk about robot watches together. Oh, and he added on, oh, and Al, if you find a Captain America trading card in Jared's wallet, can I have it? To which Al Sedano says, yeah, I think I got an extra one here. Good old DJ Cristados himself said, I wonder what Al will find in my wallet. I am sure it is something he gots to get. Gots to Well, Al did let us know that he either does have it or it's in El Segundo. Good old Gene Hendricks let us know that, yeah, I wasn't going to listen to you guys talk about this. Oh, sorry. Nope. If I wasn't going to listen to you guys talk. Okay, good. Good, Gene. Good. Like, I thought you were getting ready to just ditch us entirely. He says, if I wasn't going to listen to you guys talk about this, I would have turned it off in the opening credits without credit sequence, too. After that, though, the film was pretty decent. Who has a landline anymore? Right here. It seems like all our homes were in horrible cell areas. Well, I, I kind of understand, Gene, because, um, you know, I grew up in very rural Oklahoma. Um... Yeah, cell service is spotty at best in some of those places because of, you know, things like nature. And I I still have a landline being just out of habit, if nothing else. I like it. Sue me. So, that's the feedback, folks. That's pretty much it. That sums up this episode. Which is fine, because Sean and I definitely uh, spent a lot of time talking about Sherlock. So, uh, get some of the feedback in for the Sherlock, folks. I'd love to hear from you. Once again, thank you to all the listeners, Crusaders Club members, and all that fun stuff. If you want to be a Crusaders Club member, you too can join the Patreon. Just as for as little as one dollar a month. One, one little dollar. I can't even wash my car for a dollar. I can't get a car out of the basement anyway, but you know what I mean. Anyway, I'm rambling on. And you're tired of listening to me ramble. So, I will sum it all up with saying thank you for listening. And until next time. When we watch another fan film and listen to me talk about it on a Friday. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, rambling is not a good thing. So, thank you for joining me, and I hope to have you back for another Fan Film Friday. Today you can take your telephone, your, your, your cell phone, and you can make a movie on that. If it's a really cool movie that's funny and it's dramatic or whatever, you can post it on YouTube. If you want to make films and you want to tell stories, you can do it. But if you're obsessed with film and you love to tell stories and you love working in that medium, uh, then uh, that will give you the strength to be persistent. Thank you.